The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the hostess for this podcast, and this is episode number 174. We are well into our fourth year of podcasting, and we just hope that some of you listening will get help or will get help for a loved one after listening to the podcast. Just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and also check us out on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel now, as most of our, our interviews are videoed. Please check it out, subscribe to our channel, and give us a thumbs up on our various videos. Today we have an interview with a pastor, Pastor Robert Galati. For three years, he battled a drug addiction that ravaged his life. A $180 a day heroin and cocaine addiction forced him to steal $15,000 from his parents. After living without gas, electricity, and water for months, losing eight of his friends to drug-related deaths, watching six friends arrested, and completing two rehab treatments, Robbie remembered the gospel that was shared with him by a friend in college and was radically saved on November 12, 2002. Robbie has served as Long Hollow's senior pastor since 2015. In addition to his leadership at Long Hollow, Robbie is also the founder of Replicate Ministries and the author of several books, including Growing Up, Firmly Planted, and Rediscovering Discipleship. Let's talk to Pastor Robbie Galati. Pastor Robbie, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today and tell us your story. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. That's cool. I like that. So the way I like to start is, you know, you've had a journey. How did it start with drugs and alcohol? How did you get started and how old were you and what was going on? Yeah, so I was actually raised in a, a pretty religious home growing up. My parents uh, raised me in the Catholic Church. I was half Italian, so we were a pretty religious Roman Catholics, went to church every Sunday if we missed church on Sunday, I was in a confession on Saturday. But, you know, even back then, I didn't know God as a God of love and approachable God. I knew God for me, and this was me, obviously. I knew God as this God who was like out to get me, right? Like every time I did something wrong and there was this rule book that I could never keep all the rules to and just never own up to God. And so I remembered that when I went to college, right? I didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. Uh, I was going to play basketball. I'm 6'6 at the time, 220 pounds in high school. I got a scholarship to go play at UNC Greensboro in North Carolina, which is a big basketball, you know, state and school. And uh, the girl I'm dating is going to Baton Rouge. She lives in Louisiana like I do in New Orleans. And so she's like, you can't, you can't go that far away. What are you doing? I said, yeah, you're right. I'm in love, right? I'm in high school. I'm in love. And so I opened, I mean, Joni, this is crazy. I opened the phone book up and I find William Carey College in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Now, have you heard of the school before? Never. Neither had I. So, you know, I, I didn't even know, I didn't even know who William Carey was. And I called the coach up and I'm like, Coach Knight, can I try out for the team? And he's like, uh, you're crazy. The school starts in two weeks. And I'm like, well, please, you know, let me try out. He hesitantly let me try out. And I went that day, my mom was with me, she'll tell you, it was like the best tryout basketball performance of my life. 
You know, like every shot's going in. I'm making three points. I'm dribbling the ball. I'm not a good dribble. You know, I'm dribbling. And years later, my mom's like, son, I have to tell you, uh, prior to that day, I've never seen you play that good. And frankly, you've never played that good since. But on that day, you know, like like everything, the stars, everything was right. The providence of God. And the coach calls me like a few days later. He's like, Robbie, we're going to give you a paid full ride scholarship to come play basketball at William Carey. I was overjoyed. Uh, two weeks into the semester, the girl I'm dating that I left the other school for thinks I'm cheating on her, which I wasn't, but she thought I was, and breaks up with me. So here I am as a, uh, a, a practicing Catholic on the campus of a Southern Baptist college. And if you don't know what that means, I am the target, right, of every evangelism class on campus. Who do we tell about Jesus? It is definitely Robbie. And, uh, you know, they tried to share Christ with me and they tried to convert me. But I didn't listen because I wasn't ready, obviously. Um, it was my second year of college. A friend of mine at the time was named Jeremy Brown. And he did something pretty, pretty novel. It was really crazy. He became my friend. Right. Like I wasn't a project to conquer or a name on a list or a blank to fill in. I became his friend and we had the same likes and we had the same passions and he liked basketball and he liked guitar and I did. And so we hung out and he told me one day, he's like, man, if you ever get in a bind and everyone's turned their back on you, you can cry out to the Lord Jesus. He'll never leave you. You can repent of your sin and you can put your trust in him, him and he will save you. And I said, man, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, I wasn't ready. And so I got out of college. Uh, and it's a long story, but I'll shorten it up. I got out of college. I was, uh, I was in a network marketing business that went kind of belly up. And I saw, I thought, you know what? I don't want to do anything as far as business goes. I want to be a professional UFC fighter, right? I mean, that makes sense. College degree, professional fighter, right? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, you forgive me because I'm ignorant. UFC? UFC is the ultimate fighting championship. So it's like a mixed martial arts. Are you familiar with that? Like a no holes barred. Is that MMA? Is that what that MMA, is? MMA, that's what it is. Yes. Okay. Okay. They All put right. you in the octagon mm -hmm. and they close the octagon. And so. Kicking, fighting. Yeah. Kicking, fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, hard work uh, of fighting. And so uh, that's what I wanted to do. I was 6'6", 290 pounds back then when I was training. And uh, a guy sees me out one night at a restaurant and he's like, man, would you be interested to be the head bouncer of my club downtown New Orleans in the middle of Mardi Gras? I'm like, wait, or let me get this straight. You're going to pay me to fight, right? Like I'm in, like, this is a dream. I've been jobbing away from my whole life. Here. This is a dream job. So I take the job and Joni, it was wild. You can imagine three months, just the wildest season of my life. I was bouncing and breaking up fights. I realized I needed a career change when I was escorting two guys to the parking lot saying things I can't repeat on the podcast, but when they How got to their were you, car, Robbie? How old were you at that uh, point? So at the time I am 20 years, uh, 21 years old at the time, I'm okay. 21, about to be 22. And a uh, guy pulls a gun on me in the parking lot. And uh, he, he says, now tell me what the, to do. And I thought, okay, I need a career change. I make a lateral move from bouncing to bartending. Kind of the lesser of two evils, but for me it worked. And so I'm coming home from work and this is where my whole life changes. I'm coming home from work. Uh, I'm 22 years old, November 22nd, 1999. An 18-wheeler comes across two lanes of traffic as the interstate of the high rise merges with Metairie in New Orleans. The interstate comes together. 
18 wheeler sandwiches me in the rear at 65 miles an hour, slams my car into the guardrail, my seat breaks off the hinges and my seatbelt locks. And so the doctors uh, said to me when I went to the doctor, they said, man, it's amazing you didn't die. Yeah. Uh, herniated. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Amazing you didn't die. You herniated two discs in your neck, two discs in your back. And uh, we're going to send you home with four things. Now, I'm 22, remember, never taken drugs before. I'm an athlete. You know, I'm an athlete. So I'm not, I'm not smoking pot in high school and getting high at parties. I was an athlete and I didn't do drugs. So I was legitimately in pain, though. And as people listening know, a lot of people become addicted to drugs and alcohol, particularly drugs, as a result of a legitimate accident with real pain, right? So I was legitimately in pain, and I didn't know any better. So the doctor sent me home with four things, 22 years old, Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. And you know the story. Okay, now, why all four? I mean, I, okay, I, I don't, what was the purpose? There had to be some purpose from the doctor. Why yeah, okay, so, yeah, the backstory of that is, um, when I went to the, when I, when I went to the doctor, I went to one doctor initially, and uh, the, the, the trucking company wouldn't pay for my accident. So I called him and said, hey, would you pay for my vehicle? You rear-ended me. They said, we're not paying. You're going to have to sue for the money. So I had to get a lawyer. And one of the things about lawyers in New Orleans, no offense, they like to uh, get as much money as they can for the cases. And this was a guy who prided himself on uh, 18-wheeler accidents. He changed doctors on me. And I realized afterward that the doctor was in cahoots with the lawyer. And it was a better case, this is my perspective, a better case when you have someone who is really disabled and addicted to drugs and pain and suffering, which all of that happened. All of that happened. Wow. So that's he sent scary. me. That's scary. That's just, yeah, a, so, that's scary. Yeah. And it's a reality too. You know, that's, what's crazy. And, and I, and I believe people listening would say, that's my story. Like I, Robbie, I know exactly what you're talking about because that's me. Uh, so I'm, I'm home now. I'm doing the drugs and it doesn't take long. I think the new study says, Within seven days, you're fully addicted to oxycodone and oxycontin. Seven days addicted to oxycontin. And so uh, within two months, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, I can't work. Uh, I, can't, uh, I can't lift weights. I can't train. I just want to get high. And so I'm running through. It just takes a short time before I'm running through the 30-day prescription in two weeks. Mm-hmm. and I got to find a way to fuel this insatiable desire to get high. I mean, every day I woke up, I just, that was the first thing on my mind. How do I get high? And I would shop a couple of different doctors, but a guy came to me and he's like, Hey, why are you fooling with pharmaceutical drugs when you can buy street drugs on the street? I'll introduce you to a guy. He, he's in the projects. He can hook you up and you can buy heroin and cocaine. You can buy it in bulk, baggy it, sell it and make money, fuel your habit. And so when I was in college, I was in a network marketing business with a downline and an upline. And crazy as that was, that was a good thing in the world. It became the destruction of me in the drug world because I built this network of drug distribution in a sense. And I have to be honest, in the beginning, it was by the world standards, everything I thought I wanted. I mean, I had money and we traveled and we went places and man, like by the world, I bought a $50,000 Cadillac CTS, black on black, chrome rims, 19 inch chrome, I mean, 20 inch chrome rims, $9,000 stereo system in the trunk. 
And I'm not telling you this to impress you. I'm just impressing upon you how far the Lord brought me from, from that point. And times are good, but you know how the addiction works. I mean, it's like sin. Yep. Sin does three things. Addiction does two. It always takes you further than you want to go. That's right. It always keeps you there longer than you want to stay. And it always costs you more than you ever want to pay. I mean, and that's what happened. I thought I could manage the, the addiction, but the addiction had a stronghold on me. Uh, so I, I didn't know what to do. And so I ran out of money. My addiction was $200 a day of heroin and cocaine. Um, and so now, I, how did you run out of money? You, cause you, you've got a downline now that's helping you do all this. Did your supplier dry up? Did what happens no, there? Well, when you're running, when you're, when your baseline is $200 a day of heroin and cocaine, I would do more of the stash before it would, you know, the old saying is don't smoke from your own stash is what they used to say in the drug world, because when you do that, you're going to diminish your supply. I see. And so what would happen is it happened over time because I'm ADHD, um, you know, compulsive and uh, Enneagram three. So, I mean, like I'm, I'm, if I, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. And so, yeah, I mean, I just blew through it and okay. I just couldn't sell fast enough basically. Um, so I ran out of money and so I didn't know what to do. My parents really close, really tight knit Italian family. Uh, when my dad wasn't looking and I ate dinner with them every week, my entire life, Friday night at their house, Saturday night with the family every week, very close, but I didn't know what to do. So I went to my dad's credit card when he wasn't looking in his wallet. I took it, memorized the number. And over the course of the next three months, I charged, um, back in 1999, $15,000 on the family bank account, almost bankrupted my dad's business. Uh, he didn't know about it. And uh, I never forget the phone call. My mom calls me when they found out. And she said, Robbie, we found out what you did. Your father is furious and I'm disappointed. Don't you ever come to this house again. You're not wanted here. Oh, boy, that's some now, tough love. Okay. Now listen. <sighs> yes. And, and so what do I do? I'm arrogant and prideful and I'm like, I don't need, I don't need you guys, mom. I never needed you. And I hung the phone up and I took the little bit of money I had and I blew it on drugs and alcohol. And for the next two and a half months, John, listen, two and a half months, I lived hell on earth. Um, I lived without gas, electricity, and water. We had no gas for two and a half months. We mastered the art of the cold shower. We would rather get high than pay the bill. So we'd get into freezing cold water, no hot air, take a shower, jump out, lather up, get back in. We did this for, for two and a half months. We live without Bobby, sorry, yeah. to, sorry to cut you off, but who's we? So my roommate and I, sorry, my roommate okay. and I, his name was Rick. Uh, he and I lived together in a home. And so, and he was just as bad off as I was. So we were kind of in this together. Um, so master the art of the cold shower. We had no water for a month, no electricity for a month, but here's the point of the whole testimony that I want people to get because if I learned one thing, it was this that I'm going to share with you, particularly for addiction of alcohol and drugs. What saved my life, like you said, was the tough love of my mother. Now, let me give you the backstory of my mom. My mom lost her mother at 11 years old to cancer, breast cancer back then, which was very rare back then. But she lost her mom at 11. She had one older brother and two younger brothers. One was basically three or four weeks old before she, after she died, had him and died shortly thereafter. 
She had to raise her three brothers at 11 while her father, bless his heart, couldn't cope with the loss of his wife. He became an alcoholic, married two barmaids uh, over the course of his life. And my mom grew up quick. So she was tough. We affectionately call my mom the warden, right? <laughs> with love of Christ, of course, right? But the warden. Uh, and so my mom knew that a second and a fourth and a fifth chance, they've given me many chances, but, but endless chances was not going to save my life. They knew tough love would. And here's what I want people to understand. Because whenever you track a drug or alcohol addiction or any addiction, it's normally the result of an enabler, Right. It's normally an enabler. Now, most of the time it's a mom because they love their, I mean, golly, we love our kid. We want the best for him. We want him to help him. In my case, it was my dad. Mm. And you're familiar with this. I mean, you hear this probably all the time. Yep. For me, it was dad. And dad and I were close. We were best friends. But I knew I could get him to let me borrow money to pay the rent three times a month. The rent was always due three times a month. The phone bill was always due twice a month. And my dad would, in a moment of weakness, he would give me money. Okay, so what happened was uh, my mom realized she needed to put her foot down. And when she cut me off, that saved my life. Here's the line I want to get to those who are listening. If you are the enabler, if you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. Because think about it. Why would I turn to the Lord, and obviously that, for me, that's what changed my life. But why would I ultimately turn to the Lord when I've got mom or dad to get help? That's right. That makes total sense. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. I mean. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at the addiction podcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, the addiction podcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, visit their website at narcanonojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N ojai.org or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So here I was, I mean, just kind of reeling out of control. 
long story short, went to two rehab treatments. Long story. The first one was in Tijuana, Mexico. And that's another story for another day. I, I read a whole book about this. You could read this whole story in a book. I could talk about that later. But Which book is that? I mentioned a couple of the titles. Which book is about your yeah, rehab so, in Mexico? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my life story that I'm telling you in an extended version is in a book that came out uh, just last year called Recovered. Okay. How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. And it's basically this whole story just kind of un unfolded. Uh, but anyway, shorten it up. I come back from the second rehab treatment. First is in Mexico, second's in Louisiana. And I remembered what a guy in college told me about the Lord seven years before. And at this point, I was desperate. I mean, I, I, had, I had lost up to this point eight friends uh, to death. Six went to prison. And up to this point, since then, I've lost 15 close friends to drug and alcohol related deaths, 15 close, wow. not, not acquaintances, casual. These are close friends. There's only two or three left in the whole regime of guys I was running with. Uh, but I've I lost eight at this point, six went to prison and here I was desperate. And I said in my, and I was the last guy who would ever come to Christ. I mean, I wasn't looking for Jesus. But apparently he was looking for me. And so here I was in my room and I said, Jesus, if you're real, and I mean, what do I have to lose? I'm going to give my life to you. And if you save me and get me out of this mess, I'll do two things the rest of my life. Number one is I will never be ashamed to tell people about what you did. And number two, I will share this story with everybody for the rest of my life. And this was, that was 17 years ago. I had this radical Joni Paul-like conversion that was so radical. The next day I was going in, I knew I was going into ministry. Like God called me to the ministry. And I went to my dad, who's Catholic at the time. And I said, dad, God's called me to preach. And he looks up from the recliner. I'll never forget this. And he is thinking, what are you smoking? You know, like I don't even have a category. Like I understand like a salesman or uh, a car lot or a business, I mean, but a, but a preacher. And he says, you know, what I'm thinking, how are you going to get married by being a priest? I was like, dad, you know, I'm not going to be a priest with a nut robe and necktie. And that was 17 years ago. Now, let me fast forward just a bit, because this is another insight I learned. When I got saved, I thought I was invincible. Like, I'm like, I'm a Christian now. I'm invincible. And so I start preaching within a month and a half. I'm traveling around doing youth events, sharing my story. And I thought I was invincible. And so what I thought was, I have to go back and save my friends in the world who are still on heroin and cocaine and crack. And I need to go share the gospel. I mean, that's the natural. And I, I got to go help them. And uh, I went back and I've only, I'm only a Christian now for about three and a half months. I'm just that short of a time removed from my addiction, uh, but I'm invincible, right? I'm not going to fall. I'm, I'm invincible. So I went to my first friend. His name was Eloy. He's, he's passed. The other guys passed as well. But at the time I sat in his apartment and I said, Eloy, do you mind if I share what Jesus has done for me with you? Do you mind? And he said, not at all. Do you mind if I roll a joint while you do it? I was like, no, I mean, I'm invincible. What am I talking about? I'm not going to fall. Yeah, go ahead, man. You mind if I drink? No, drink up there. I don't care. And I can't even tell you what happened. I don't even know how it happened. But within two weeks, I come to kind of this realization. And this is what I remember. I am walking on Bourbon Street. I've got a Bud Light in my hand. And I'm going back to Eloy's apartment to snort an eight ball of cocaine as a Christian preacher. Wow. And this goes on for the next two and a half months. I'm getting high. And, and, and again, 
people say, well, you probably weren't a Christian. No, no, I was a Christian. I met the Lord. See, what I tell people is this. When Jesus saves you, he redeems or he, he saves your heart, but he doesn't sanctify your habits. Okay, Think about that. He saves your heart. He changes our heart. But we still have all these habits that we inboard from the previous life, and it takes a while to kind of work through those. So here I was back on drugs again. I was convicted about it. I knew I was wrong, but I had I was stuck. It was a stronghold in my life. Every morning, here was my routine. Routine. I would drive to the city to score drugs in the projects, and I would wake up every day around 11. And on the way to get to get the drugs, I would stop at the New Orleans Daiquiri shop. Now, for those who don't know, New Orleans has 24-hour bars that are drive-through. Okay, and this was a oh Daiquiri, which is like a snowball with alcohol, right? Okay, so for those who know, you know what I'm talking about. So my routine, Joni, was I was going to get the, get the daiquiri on the way to get high. So I would order the biggest drink and the strongest flavor. And so I would talk to the girl. She was lost at the counter. She was an atheist. She was a pot smoking uh, person. You know, her parents all did drugs, but she worked at the daiquiri shop. But I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. So I'm like, hey, I'll take the uh, 32 ounce 190 octane deck. Oh, by the way, do you know, Christy, that Jesus died for your sin? Oh, that'd be 425. Okay, sorry. And I would, you know, this is going on the whole time. I'm giving her the money and she, and I'd say, do you know the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Lord and repent your heart and believe that God rose him from that, you'll be saved. Here's your change. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, this goes on, you know, for like, like a month. And I just remember, this is what the Lord used to convict me of what I was doing. One day I was in the drive-thru, same scenarios playing out. She leans out the window when she gives me the drink. And here's what she says. She says, you know, Robbie, for someone who knows so much about Jesus, you sure don't act like it. Wow. And that was the shot across the bow of my heart. God used an unbelieving, drug-addicted girl at the daiquiri shop to get my attention. Now, here's the cool story. In the process of leading her to Christ, which she got radically saved, God brings me back to him. I lead a guy to the gym, uh, at the gym to Christ, uh, who was a trainer. And both of those two got married. And now they're both church planters in Miami. I'm telling you, it's just like a crazy God wow. story. But, That's quite here, a story. It's amazing. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. just think, but here's a lesson the Lord showed me there. The Lord showed me, Robbie, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or the fact that you are a believer. No one is immune from the effects of sin. And what took a lifetime to build in a testimony can be destroyed in a moment, in a moment. And so it just helped me put parameters around my life. People say, why do you never go to the home of an addict to counsel them? It's not so much concern. I'm concerned that I'm going to fall. I'm 17 years you know, clean. But it's, I don't put myself in those environments to give the enemy a foothold for something that could happen. Uh, and there's some other safeguards in my life, and I've just learned that from trial and error. You know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, with anybody who has gone through any form of addiction, it is a constant, not battle so much, but it's something that you constantly have to almost recreate your sobriety, almost recreate your sobriety, and to some degree your faith every single day. 
and and that's that's kind of what I get from what you're saying is that you know it's all well and good to accept Jesus but it's an ongoing thing it's not like a one-time thing and okay I'm done and it's there and I don't have to worry about it anymore yeah it's a day yeah I tell people every day there is a funeral and a coronation in my life there is a funeral because when I get out of bed, I've got to die to Robbie and self because Robbie did a lot of things destructive. And then I have to coronate Jesus as Lord of my life, meaning I'm going to follow his way over my way. And I do that every day. We have to do that every day. Yep. Yep. It's almost, you know, it's almost, I'm not trying to lessen it, but it's almost similar to what people I think find with 12 step and the different steps that they have to do on a, on a regular basis. Yeah. And every day. Yeah, every day. Yeah. So tell me about what you're doing now and and where you are now. Yeah, so I am a pastor of a church in the Nashville area now. This is the third church I've had the privilege of pastoring. Uh, shortly after I got saved, I started uh, in a discipling relationship with a man named David Platt, who was just a seminary student at the time. Uh, he went on to write a, a New York Times bestselling book years later, which is how some people know him. But back, back then, he was just a seminary student, and he took it upon himself that he was going to disciple me every week and help me live for the Lord and understand the Bible and how to share what God's doing in my life and how to love my wife eventually. And um, David encouraged me to go to seminary, and so uh, they let me in. I still don't know how they did this, but I went through seminary, got a master's, and then David said, no, let me encourage you to get a doctorate. So I stayed on and got a PhD. And so I went to school for eight years, which is crazy because I didn't like school. Uh, and when I graduated, I asked the president of the school, I said, Dr. Kelly, how did you let me in school? <laughs> Being one year removed from $180, $200 a day heroin and cocaine addiction. He said, well, you didn't disclose that on the entrance examination or the entrance forms. I said, well, you didn't ask, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to share that. And by God's grace, thank God, you know, that, that wasn't what, what they asked. And uh, I just had an amazing experience there. And now I'm kind of an advocate for Christ centered recovery, right? I mean, like we can get someone healed physically through treatment. I mean, the greatest treatment I've been, uh, that I went through, I think personally, and I'm biased, was the one I went to, which is a form of NAD. And I don't know if anybody's talked about this, but it would be something I can connect you with the folks who've done this because it's really the game changer. Most recovery systems that you go through are six to 12 months. It's a long process in-house, in treatment, uh, inpatient treatment, and it's just a long process. Teen challenge, one year. It works, but it's a year. A lot of people don't have the time to do that. I get it. The treatment I went to was an IV system whereby they hook you up to an IV and pump NAD in the body. Now, Joni, the treatment lasts 10 days. Hmm. It's pretty expensive. I think it's over $10,000. My parents put the money up for me. But in 10 days, all the withdrawals, all the detox symptoms are gone. And in a sense, they put you ahead one year in your recovery. But even as good as that, and the reason I say that is, even as good as that is, and, and if you're interested in that, you can go to Springfield Wellness is the name of the organization. Springfield Wellness, you can tell them you heard it from me. I send lots of people there. I don't get anything from it. I just send them there because they've helped me so much. Uh, but one of the things they told me in my living room, they said, and they're both believers, and they said, Robbie, we can get somebody well physically, but we need your help 
for accountability so that they stay well spiritually and physically from that moment on. Right. I mean, you, people can go to rehab and come back, but it's when you come back and get inundated in life. Uh, and, and now the culture and the, and the distractions and the temptations are there. How do you live from this day forward? That's really the big issue. That's right. That's right. The, there's, there's different aspects of the addiction. There's the physical, mental, and then there's the spiritual, which is what you're talking about. Yes. And I think you have to treat all, you're right, right? Yes, you like do. you have to treat. And I went to, I'll tell you about the mental. I went to counseling every week for over a year, probably 15 months, every week after. And some people say, I don't want to go to counseling. You know, counseling's bad. And I said, no, I said, no, actually, you don't have to go just to counseling when things are bad. It's better to go to counseling when things are good to sharpen some of the things that are working. But I went to counseling for 15 months. So in a sense, I went to the rehab for the physical. I went to counseling for the mental. And I worked and developed my relationship with Christ for the spiritual. And I think holistically, wouldn't you agree, you have to treat all of them. You have to treat all three. You have to, there's a physical addiction there's the whole mental aspect that perhaps, you know, led you into the addiction in the first place. And then you have to believe in something. Do you know, I, this yeah. is a non-religious podcast. So, yeah. you know, it, you have to believe in some sort of a higher power that is going to give you something to be sober for if it's not just for yourself. That's yeah. my viewpoint. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And, and the thing is, you got to realize when you believe in something other than yourself, obviously it's for me, Jesus, but you could say a higher power. You have to realize because of that, you can't fix yourself, right? Like you realize that you got yourself into this, but you need to acknowledge you need the help of God, a higher power, other people around you, and you can't fix yourself. And I think that's good. You have to recognize that. You do. And I think that that is oftentimes the single hardest thing to do is to ask for help. Mm. Do you know? And I think that until those who are listening, you know, whether you have a friend that's addicted or whether yourself you're addicted, you have to ask for help. There's help available. In fact, Pastor Robbie is going to tell me right now how you could reach him if you want to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah, you can. And and the thing is, I, I would say, so after counseling for 17 years, I've counseled people for 17 years, I give them the same eight things to do over and over, which is why I wrote the book. Because obviously you can imagine, I, I have a church of 6,500 every week that attend. And so wow. a lot of people just in my church, much less the online ministry now, which is you know three to four times greater than that. So it's hard to talk. I'd love to talk to everybody, obviously. But here's what I tell people. Everything I've counseled for 15 years is in the back of my life story book. And so the way the book works is the whole first half is the story to kind of connect. Because one of the things I've realized about addicts and alcoholics and being one myself, we don't resonate with people who don't understand where we've been. You know what I'm saying? I've been to counselors before and you're like, you know, my mom would bring me years ago and I'd say, on this, this guy went to school. He doesn't know what he's talking about, like where I've been. He doesn't know where I've been. Right. And I think, you know, that's why I think some people are drawn to my church even. And I'm very open about my addiction. I talk about the struggles of the past. I don't hide it. Uh, I remember the first time I shared my testimony, my dad was with me. It was at the homeless shelter downtown New Orleans. And um, at the end of it, my dad pulled me aside and he said, son, 
I'm really proud of you. I'm so glad, you know, God did this in your life, but I wouldn't share that story again. He's like, that's a story for you. He said, that's going to actually hurt you. It's going to not help you. It's going to bring you down. People are going to have respect. And I said, dad, I love you. But with all due respect, God's given me a test in life to give me a testimony. And yeah. this is the testimony God's given me. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. And so I think as a pastor who's been there, done that, experienced it, I think people resonate more with that. So anyway, all that to say in the book recover, that's the name of the book. That's what I give. I give all of the things I would tell you personally. Right. And the book I'm assuming is on Amazon. Yep. It's on Amazon. You so on it's Amazon. recovered by pastor Re Robbie Gallaty. And let me just ask you this one last thing. If you, if there were just one message you could share with people you know, we, we're consistently trying to, to tell people who are listening that there is hope. It's not like a, addiction is not hopeless and that there's help available. But what one message would you want to put out there? Yeah, such a good question. I would say, um, I'd say maybe two messages. The first one is um, God loves you unconditionally just the way you are. And he loves you right now. And the greatest thing I've learned about God, my relationship with God has grown, obviously, over 17 years, is that he accepts us the way we are. We don't have to do anything to earn this acceptance. He doesn't see the past we've done in the, in the past to destroy our lives. And what makes God's love unconditional is the fact that it's not it's not connected to a condition of what we did or didn't do. So I just think somebody needs to hear that right now. God will welcome you just as you are. And you need to surrender to him. And, and like Johnny said, you may say it's a higher power or another name. For me, it's Jesus. Jesus, obviously, was the person I met and changed my life. So that's why I say the first thing. The second thing I would say is this. The final chapter of your life is yet to be written. And don't let people see chapter two um, when God hasn't even finished with the rest of the book or gotten to the conclusion of your life. And so don't let people put you down or beat you up. God is doing a great work in your life. Don't get ahead of God. You know, the, the future is far out. And it's kind of like your life's kind of like a, a marathon. I tell people a marathon and a sprint, you train very differently for the two. It, it, and, and the crazy thing today is there are people actually running these hundred mile races. You've seen this hundred miles. They're running nonstop. And it's like, it's the craziest thing in the world. I can't even walk across the campus of my church without getting tired. And these guys are running these marathons, but you know, as well as I do. The sprinters train differently. And I love sprinters. I mean, when I watch the Olympics, I love the sprinting. It's like like three, five seconds, you know, this thing's over and it's and it's 100 meters or 100 yards and it's over and it's quick. But even the best sprinter cannot run a 100-mile marathon. They can't. They just right. can't do it. And the reason is you train differently. You have a mindset that's different for the race. That's what I want you to understand. Sobriety is a marathon. Some of you get into the marathon and want to sprint. And man, we see people like this, you know, like I'm all in. I'm going to every night of the meetings. I'm going to two meetings a day. I'm going to be at Celebrate Recovery. I'm going to church. <laughs> and we see these people and we're like, hey, slow down, slow down. And we've all been there and we had to learn this ourselves. So what I want to say to you is this. We are in a marathon. The best days of your life are ahead. And uh, just believe God's going to do a great work in your life. That's so awesome. Pastor Robbie, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. It's been great.
Well, that was an amazing interview. And as I said in the interview, whether it's Jesus that you turn to, whether it's Muhammad, whether it's Buddha, whether you just get a renewed sense of self, you need to have some sort of a higher power, I think, sometimes to help you through this whole addiction and recovery process. And if, if looking to Jesus helps you, you can always reach out to Pastor Gallaty and you can reach out to his organization. If you have questions about addiction, if you are a loved one of an addict and you would like some advice, you can make an anonymous call to our sponsor, Narcan on Ojai, and that number is 866-231-5924. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and also check us out on YouTube. Oh, yes, and if you listened to the episodes we did with the pharmacist, Dan Schneider, after we were done with the interview today, Pastor Robbie shared that it was Dr. Cleggett, the doctor whose license Dan Schneider helped get revoked for overprescribing opioids. It was Dr. Cleggett who actually prescribed the opioids for Robbie. There you go. What goes around comes around. We'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast. Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.